And I say it's so much more when love is real It's the touch of her hand on my cheek that I feel And I know when I lie away Hello everybody that's watching. This is new to me because on my podcast, I have invited a guest, and this is a very special guest of mine, Dr. Kent Gustafson. He has the same last name because this is my son, of whom I'm very pleased. Oh, thanks. Uh, hello, Kent. Hi, uh, good to see you. Good to you see are, you. You are, you are doing an amazing job uh, acing the technology here. I'm pretty <laughs> impressed. <laughs> right. Uh, I will someday ace it. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> But anyway, I asked I asked Kent uh, to have a conversation with me uh, on the podcast today because Kent is the um, owner, originator, and publisher of Blooming Twig Books, whose subtitle is Books That Matter. And we've been talking about um, all kinds of things in the world that matter. And today I thought, why not talk about books that matter? You Would you like to say something about why you say that about your company? Sure. Yeah. And I have to say, I stole, obviously, you know this, but people might not know that I stole <laughs> your name for the company. So Cynthia Gusterson's middle name is Blomquist, which sort of loosely translated, translates as blooming branch or twig or whatever. So, <laughs> but as I was publishing in the early days of the company, like 15 years ago or so, People said, what kind of books do you publish? And I said, I don't know, um, all kinds. And they'd keep pursuing me and asking me more and more questions about it. And then I just kind of figured out, no, you know, books that matter. And that stuck because I think it resonated with people. And then, you know, over the over these few years, it's gotten more and more meaningful because it's about everything that matters, you know, podcasts that matter and all kinds of different things. Doing something that matters. Right. Um, maybe you could say something about why books matter at all, especially in this age when uh, more and more people that I know are not reading books. They're not reading newspapers. <laughs> uh, why do books matter? I think of I have a funny line. I talk about John in the John um, reading a business book. If you want to get intimate with somebody who's a, I don't know, a contractor or a business person, if you want to be in the bathroom with them for five to 10 minutes a day in their really private, intimate time, a book is your answer. Either, I mean, somebody might be on their smartphone, but the book is the other alternative. And honestly, what if your, your phone's out of battery and you got to read something? So that's, that's an honored spot. Or if you're, you know, curled up with somebody in a cup of tea, uh, or a glass of wine while they're in the bathtub. That's the most intimate it gets when they can't stand their partner anymore and they're in that bathtub just <laughs> chilling out. You are with them. And that's the power of a, of a book, I think. You know, you saying that reminds me of something I heard once about, I think it was World War II, but it may have been World War I. There were all kinds of things they wanted to get across to the soldiers and how were they going to get the soldiers to read? So they made them into comic books. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, that's that's where most of our comic books derived from, which I thought was really interesting because they did want to read those. So somehow we have to make books that people want to read, don't we? Well, that's the I mean, for, for me, there's there's something for most of us, there's something really special about paper. People signaled the death knell of books when ebooks came around. That hasn't happened because I think 
Yeah. It's just not the same to read something, even if it's the best possible surface, a Kindle or something. It's still not a book. It still doesn't have that, you know, moldy, musty smell uh, <laughs> on one side or on the other side, you know, when you crack the spine open uh, or turn the pages, it's just not the same feeling. I, I agree. But you also have to say ebooks are books. Somebody wrote those. True. So True. it's important information. And what? also audiobooks. I, I've I've yeah. recently just been obsessed with audiobooks and I I, I don't know. I they're they're maybe not quite the same reading experience, but um I've listed some really long audiobooks lately and definitely ingesting all that material. So Yeah, I know I'm a lot of people of listen to them in car rides. And a year ago when my husband had an operation and he couldn't do anything, he listened for hours and hours to books on tape and they were, they were wonderful. Well, since we have you, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast, um, I'm trying to encourage writing for all of them. And um, being a therapist, a poetry therapist, doesn't, doesn't mean that what they write has to be published. But if they write something, that they think is really good, put a lot of time into it, did a lot of editing. What would you say to writers as a publisher, as an editor, what would you say to writers? This is what I'm looking for. Mm. I think the thing that uh, is most compelling, it's a trick question because on one side, all of publishing is driven by money. So when you're trying to get a book published, you're trying to find a big agent or you're trying to sell a million books, the, there's one answer, and that is be a celebrity <laughs> on the, <laughs> or, or know somebody, right? Um, or have a lot of money. Well, those are kind of your options. On the flip side, if you want to if you want to create something beautiful, honestly, it's it's kind of back to what you taught me and our, I think it was, you came in as a poet with our elementary school class way back in the day. Five senses, <laughs> five senses is the key. I mean, nobody uses the five senses in their writing. They just don't. And it's like smell, write about the smell, write about the taste, write about the touch. Uh, I don't know, go for six, sixth sense if you wanna, get, if you wanna go there. But it's all we're, all we're, most people are saying red, blue, yellow, uh, lush, you know, visual images and just use the other senses. Yeah. Do you, you know my short story about old Annie? Oh, yeah. And how she, she was so smelly that nobody wanted to pick her up in their car. And, I, and we took her on Easter and I got out of the car and I stunk like old Annie. <laughs> yeah. And that is a true story and I remember it. But I, I, definitely, I definitely included sense, uh, sense. In that and, I, and I, just thinking about that too, I when I smell sort of musty, smoky, I don't know, moldy, old furniture, I always think about my grandmother's basement. You know, it's like you these these triggers we have. You know, from that to the smell of of rhubarb boiling on the stove, or the the smell of clover fields full of clover, or these these just incredibly uh, just evocative uh memories attached to smell you know? i think it's our most primitive scent so it, it you know it takes you right back there i think it's kind of interesting with this covid virus that uh, it's something that you lose Isn't that um, wild? one of the first things that you might um might tell you that you have the virus is that you and know I, your sense 
on a complete a much I mean that's intense on the complete other side of the spectrum I w- I've been hearing that scientists or tech technical scientists or engineers have been coming up with a little smell plug-in for computers which <laughs> I, I but I mean I, I suppose you could sort of decide which which smells get through <laughs> but, <laughs> but but it's kind of interesting like how much that would add like if you're doing a relaxation tape and all of a sudden you smell the forest or something wouldn't that be neat yeah. but um kind of dangerous or, territory or, or your your mother's been baking bread and and you know you get on the computer and you can actually smell the smell of bread i've been baking a lot of bread lately <laughs> Uh, every week. Well, I wanted to go to, I've mentioned this book before, my bully book, but you were the person who did all of the illustrations. And here, of course, is one of the illustrations. I didn't um, do that one, though. That one was by one. Christina Toshit. Oh, Christina, that one. Okay. I did all the goofy ones, the weird yeah, looking that, ones. Let me show you. Oh, yes. Here are some of the uh, the characters oh, yes. in the book. Yes, yeah. Yes. This, um, is my, this is my, the biggest part of my illustration career right there. <laughs> But it it was really fun working with you. It was fun working with this book once I had those characters that you developed. And in in this, this is a workbook. And the characters he developed actually do do some of these things that I suggest that, that I want the person to do too. But the characters in the book also do them. I should say that on my wall, let me see if you can see it. Uh-oh, this is dangerous. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the beginning of my artistic career. Is that what <laughs> There's an eagle. You did that when you were yeah, sixth grade, maybe. And the one down there was in second grade. The great, the, the great big one. I don't know how to point to it. There it is, the great big one. It's got three blue herons and all kinds of flowers and so do you have the doing artwork as well. Do you have the so you have the civil war there somewhere? Uh yeah, but it's around the corner. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Oh, little kids oh. are the most gifted. Yeah. Let me show you a really good one here. <laughs> you see this? This oh, is that's bright. A nice one. This one says oh, it was that. four, and when I asked him what it was, he said it was God. <laughs> I, got I, got <laughs> I got pretty close, you know. I I think. Yeah. Yes, that was very good. Anyway, okay, so let's go back to the bully book. Um, you were able to help me with that book because you have had um, a history of being bullied. It's very, very difficult for a parent to see it happening. Uh, my six foot six inch son wasn't always six feet six inches. <laughs> you want to tell a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I certainly, people don't bother me anymore. I'm a large, large <laughs> man, but. Yeah, I mean, um, it's hard for me to see kids getting bullied on a playground or that kind of thing these days because, you know, I've been there. So the kind of all the different, they had funny terms around it in all the sort of uh, 80s, funny 80s movies, but like swirlies and snuggies and all these terms, right? Pretty brutal kind of torturous acts it's almost like you know the the swirly is like chinese water torture being held by your feet with the the head in the toilet and the it's brutal it's a horrible thing yeah so i i i experienced a lot of that i think a lot of people have and a lot of them have created amazing careers and lives um it's kind of an interesting 
thing to connect with people and and see when they reveal <laughs> those those parts of their life when they've gotten older. Yeah. You know, as a parent watching that happen, it's it's so difficult that we we ended up taking you out of the public school and putting you in a private school, which we didn't want to do because we really we really respect public schools, but we had to do it and and it really was uh lifeblood for you when that happened. Yeah. Well, and and I mean things have changed uh since then too I, which is good because i i think boys you know boys will be boys i mean the more alarming thing was the story you told me when i was was quite young when the um she came up to our, to my teacher uh and uh said hey why why is why didn't you do anything that they're you know that kid is you know beating up my son and, and it's like oh he'll you know what was it he'll, he'll he has learn. to learn to take care of himself yeah so I mean that culture, right? I it think was, that it culture was two is guys against you, but yeah. you still had to learn how to take care of yourself against two older boys. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, I'm just going to mention once more, bully. That's the big book about bullies and the bullied by me, uh, by and, Kent. And and something amazing about yes. that book that I yes. had never known and never thought about as much until you were working on that was that the it's really stark and clear how the bullied are the bullies. And that's the the beautiful thing about if you just help the bullied kids, you know, like I remember in school, we, we all had a group of all the kids who got bullied and it was kind of weird, you know, because the kids who were perpetuating the bullying actually were the ones hurting also. Um, and so they would just get suspended or something and have to go into their dangerous environment all day and then come back and presumably they're changed, right? right. Well, there are three different groups. Those who are only bullied, those who only bully, and the biggest group of all are the ones who are bullied and so they bully. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's go on. What I wanted to talk to, about today, since I have you here, I want to talk about what, what people are passionate about because our listeners all have um, a passion about something else. And I want you to learn how to write about that. And so the first thing I know Kent is um, really passionate about are his animals. You want to tell us about them? Oh, sure. I could name them all, all the ones <laughs> I've had that have now passed away. But currently we've got, we've got a Sparky and we've got two cats. Our Sparky is, is uh, kind of a mutt. They're our favorite kind and he's a sweet guy who uh is very emotional <laughs> and so we're trying to figure out how to tame his barking but we have two cats and a dog we've had uh pet rats and we've had ferrets and we had a rabbit for a little while I love animals and 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 mostly rescue animals yeah almost all rescues yeah and yeah. fish fish those those the fish i did not rescue those were i i they purchased the fish and promptly realized that fish eat fish. So fish <laughs> didn't last very long. Uh, <laughs> okay, my tender-hearted son. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, a another passion you have, and it's what it's I at the beginning I called you Dr. Kent Gustafson. That's not an MD, that's a PhD. And it's in music, music um uh, composition. So that is music is another one of your your passions. It's something that you and I have shared our whole life. We've even written some songs together, which is really exciting. You want to talk about music as a passion? Yeah, music is a passion. Again, the, the PhD 
squeezed the passion out of me a little bit, as most as a lot of people say. Um, it took me about a decade, honestly, to kind of come back to it. Now I'm I have the same obsession I had when I was younger, which is neat to just sit and play music with a friend or step on stage or do something online. It's 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 great actually. So being an amateur musician is is lovely because I, I'm back to that true love of music that I got as a kid and that you have and yeah but you know as a professional musician or going into that world that's also amazing but it's a different mindset it's it is it becomes work more yeah I should mention we have many of my friends uh, listening on on this uh, podcast um, are religious people many of them in the ELCA and uh, many of them have probably heard your music. You want to talk about your music for the for the church? Sure. Yeah. It's um, I I like to think it's a slight challenge if you listen to the sort of liturgical stuff within it. There's always a little bit of a a wrench in the in the wheel, which is something I inherited fairly from my parents. It's just a little bit of, you know, how do we understand things just a touch differently? Um, so I'm obsessed with the liturgical part of it. And then the music is supposed to be singable and playable. And it's, I think I was inspired by, I, I sincerely like a lot of the liturgical composers who have paved the way, but a lot of their music is in C sharp, <laughs> C sharp major or, or D flat minor, you know, take your pick. So this is all with simple chords. And, um, and actually one of the, one of the fun ones was, um, working with Nadia Boltzweber, who a lot of people know, and, and Bluegrass um, uh, Eucharist service that, that she sort of commissioned, and we've had a chance to play together a bunch of time, called Light into the World. And it's pretty popular in the Western states and, and Minnesota. Yeah. And I personally like your uh, Mountain Vespers that you wrote when you were up at Holden Village, because it has one of my songs in it. <laughs> Two. Is it just one or is it two? Oh, you you created a few of the prayers. The prayers the prayers are uh, the cool thing about the liturgy of the vespers is it's such a such a calming such a calming um, liturgy. It's not to shake people up as much. It's much more to to come back to peace, come back to calm. So yeah, I love that. I love that the that mountain vespers also became Holden Villages music now in a lot of ways so it's it's become part of that community and i remember distinctly hand burning cds i think at your house uh and then bringing them all back to holden village and giving them to all hundred um full-time members of the community up there and saying okay now it's yours and that was kind of neat um it's it's a weird thing to be a composer in the liturgical space because it's not about performance it's much more about okay now take this and worship with it so kind of neat that's that's really that's really wonderful um is there anything else you would like to add today before i go to uh, everybody's my poem and everybody's assignment <laughs> well it's pretty neat to grow up at the feet of uh, a poet and a therapist i think the it's it's always surprising that more there's a lot of writing therapy but there's a there's a different there's a deeper level to poetry than there is to writing i think a deeper level of thought a different 
an extra set of filters. And I think that was just a real gift. So I, I really like this, this program because it hopefully a lot more people will, will see that and look at poetry again and maybe write some and it's worth it. It'll be worth it for, it's almost, yeah, that, that the therapy therapeutic act of writing the poetry is, is the, is the amazing thing. Thank you. Stay with us while I while I read this next poem. This is this is from a book I haven't uh, talked about yet. Uh, Between Telugu and Tulsa. This is not a workbook. This is my last poetry book, and I'm going to read a poem in here. It actually uh, talks a little bit about Kent, uh, and then I'm going to tell you what to do. Okay, I promised myself at age 11 I'd leave the valley behind tour the country like my dad did, or at least get a job in a city. So when I met my love and he moved to Boston, I followed. Then to Minneapolis and Hawaii and Durham and Shreveport, north and south, culture upon culture, and I dragged our babies along too. Our girl's middle name is Joy, but she found no joy in traveling and instead now stays in the city with its libraries, sidewalks, and natural gourmet food. And even though her daughter's middle name is Brooke, our granddaughter has not seen our streams or lake. Our musician son lived in our cabin for a while, collecting stray dogs and cats and finding them homes all over the country. But he also listened for sacred sounds of crow and heron, fox and deer, wind in the night and dripping ice. His Hebrew middle name, Samuel, means he who hears the sound of God. My husband is from Chicago and he never wanted to return, not to any city. And I from the Valley wanted to be an urban dweller. And so we moved back and forth, city to country, country to city, till finally we owned a home in both. And now are living at the cabin, or at least when I wrote this, I was, where I am finding that what was originally planted there is still there and take the country out of the girl. So that is my poem. And I talked about people's passions. And that's what I want you viewers to write about this week. And again, it's not for me. It's not for Kent. Well, unless you want it published. But it's for you. It's, it's for you to understand what is it that you keep coming back to. Maybe it developed when you were really, really young. Um, maybe you haven't didn't figure it out until... You had to stay home for this COVID thing. But what is your passion? I want you to write about it. And it might be easiest to write it in terms of a letter. Dear music, dear piano, <laughs> dear cat, dear whatever it is you're interested in, gourmet food. What I've discovered this COVID is a wonderful, wonderful flower from a mill in Texas. And I, I'm now ordering it um, online and it's so much fun to use. So write a letter, dear, whatever that passion is and see what comes out. What have you learned about yourself um, through it and see where that takes you. And let's thank our guest once more. Dr. Kent Gustafson was so wonderful to have you here. And I'll see you again probably in a week. 
thanks a lot and bye-bye. So much more when love is real. It's the touch of her hand on my cheek that I feel. And I know when I lie awake, my every care he'll take. And I say it's so much more.